If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. This is Cruise Radio. If this whole thing we're going through right now has taught us anything, it is to always have travel insurance. Get a quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Radio. How's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of MSC Seaside today. Also, staff writer Richard Sims is filling in for Sherry Laskin with Cruise News. Sherry is actually on a two-week, I guess you would call that transcontinent road trip from Seattle to Florida. So we're hoping to have her back here in the first week or two of October. Oh, this is new. If you have Amazon Music, Cruise Radio is available on Amazon Music under their podcast section. That was just added just a few days ago. So our daily Cruise Radio news briefs or Cruise Radio can both be found there on Amazon Music now. So excited to be part of the Amazon Music family. All right, let's get caught up with Cruise News and Richard. Hey, buddy. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me. Return to cruising plans have officially been submitted to the CDC. At long last, we're seeing some progress. This has been one of the big stumbling blocks. From the very beginning, when the no-sale order first went into effect, one of the things that uh, the CDC said was, we need you to turn over plans. Uh, and they, the, the cruise lines did, and the CDC sort of sat on them for a while, but now we're getting actual plans for return to service. A lot of the things we're seeing are exactly what we expected. I think we got a really good preview of what was going to be in these reports when we saw what was being implemented on Costa Cruises, what AIDA is going to be doing. The reports, so like I said, the reports don't contain any surprises. They do contain things that probably won't make certain people happy. You know, like like people are probably going to have to wear masks, as we've been warning for months now. They're going to have to wear masks in public areas. Uh, there is probably going to be testing. And I say probably because while these things seem fairly firm, it is still a work in progress. Yes, it's been submitted to the CDC, but uh, it hasn't actually you know, been approved or come back from the CDC. We haven't gotten the feedback on that yet. In fact, the day that the cruise lines um, turned in their reports to the CDC was the last day that the CDC was taking public comment on the question of what do cruise lines need to do in order to return. When we talk about these reports, we're talking about the Healthy Sail Plan, which was put together by Royal Caribbean and Norwegian. They kind of like got together, put together their team of experts and came up with their plan to submit to the CDC. And then this the Cruise Line International Association, or CLIA, they also put together a plan that's very, very similar and that covers their ships, um, or I should say the their members, which includes Carnival. Carnival is a member of CLIA, so they basically sort of piggybacked on what Clio was saying. So basically all the big lines are included in this. We now just have to wait and see what the CDC says in response to the plans that were turned in. Yeah, and keeping our fingers crossed there. Carnival Cruise Line has debuted a new atrium concept. 
I think you know, Doug, that nobody is more excited than, about this than I am. Uh-huh. I am a huge fan of atriums. I spend a lot of time in them. I think they're stunning. And to be quite frank, of all of the ships that I've seen, I don't think anybody does them as well as as Carnival does. Carnival knows the importance of the atrium, and they they make it sort of the first thing you see when you walk onto most of their ships. That's going to be the case here as well. This one, however, is going to be a little bit different. Normally, on almost all ships, the atrium is in the center of the ship. Um, this time, it's going to be on the starboard side. It's going to feature 3,000 feet of like glass panels, giving you this awesome view uh, of the ocean or the port you're visiting. It's three layer, uh, layers. It's three decks. It spans, I believe, six, seven, and eight. It has two bars. At night, it's going to transform into an entertainment space where they're going to have you know, one of those shows that combines high tech and people flying through the air. And, you know, the description of the show they're putting together reminds me a little bit of the show that they have uh, in the 270 space on some of Royal Caribbean's ships. In any case, this is going to be just a, a real, like everything else about Mardi Gras, it's a game changer for Carnival because it's a huge step in a different direction. It's called Grand Central because, you know, a lot of people pass through it over the course of the day. One of the zones on Mardi Gras, and I'm just, you can hear it, I'm super excited about this. <laughs> really looking forward to seeing it. And this weekend, we'll have Glenn Aprile. He's on the design team of Carnival of Mardi Gras. He'll be on the show to talk to us about the atrium concept. And some sad news, one of the founders of NCL has passed. Yeah, um, I hope anyone listening who actually is an extended member of the family or has worked with him will forgive me if I butcher the name, but I believe it is pronounced Nutklauster. He was 91 years old, and one thing a lot of people don't know is that Norwegian Cruise Line and Carnival Cruise Line sort of share a connection in that Ted Arison Sr., the late Ted Arison Sr., and Nutklauster formed Norwegian together. It was originally known, it was still NCL, but back then it was Norwegian Caribbean line instead of Norwegian Cruise Line. Uh, And, you know, he he was an innovator, much like Ted Aronson. Both, Both have passed away now, and both are big losses to the cruise industry because of everything they did to sort of take what was a, was originally a ferry ship. You know, they basically started with Ferry ships that not only took cars on seven-day trips, but they said, well, you know, people are going to come on board too, so let's, you know, have staterooms and restaurants. And they really created what is now the modern cruise line. If you want more information on this, if you want a really great read, there's a book called Devils in the Deep Blue Sea. It's available on Amazon. It's a little pricey. I think even the paperback is $24, but it's a fantastic look at how men like this actually started the cruise industry and all the innovations that have come along and the battles that broke out between. It's a phenomenal read. I highly recommend it. Uh, One of the things Norwegian is going to be doing uh, to pay tribute to Mr. Kloster's memory, he was a big humanitarian. He was um, very big into the environment. He was very big on um, sort of the companies giving back to the various ports that they visited. So in his honor, the company is going to dedicate a section of their new terminal, which is currently being built in Miami. And they're also going to introduce an annual team member recognition award that will be given in memory of his, his humanitarian efforts. So, you know, it's it's a big loss to the industry. And it's I think it's 
It's the kind of thing that a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of, but really every single person who enjoys cruising today owes a debt of gratitude to these men. Certainly. And Princess Cruises is selling two cruise ships. Yeah, this falls into the category of the 18 ships that last week we talked about. Originally, Carnival Corporation was going to sell 15 ships. Then they announced that it was they were adding a few. It was going to be 18. We still don't know all of the names of the ships, but every time one is sold, we get a little more information. This week, it was the Sun Princess and the Sea Princess are both being sold. We don't really know exactly where they're going quite yet. There's some rumors that we that we have heard that they might be one of them at least might have been bought or chartered by the people who run the peace boat but there's the details are still a little sketchy on this one of the things that'll happen is um Carnival will eventually begin sailing the Enchanted Princess out of Australia and New Zealand to make up for the fact that both of these ships sort of served that market really well. So there'll be a little bit of shifting around going on, and that will be the ship that takes their place. And Virgin Voyages has announced longer itineraries. This is also exciting. I'm I'm excited about a lot of this week's news. With the Scarlet Lady, which is the first ship in their fleet, they really announced that they were going to focus on three- and four-day cruises out of Miami. Uh, these were all going to stop at their new Bimini Beach Club, and then there were two or three different itineraries you could go, but they were all three- or four-day sailings. With Valiant Lady, which is expected to debut in May, they're doing something a little bit different. Valiant Lady will spend part of her season sailing out of Barcelona. Then she will come to the United States and also sail out of Miami, but she'll be doing seven-day cruises. And, and, And the reason this is really interesting to me is that because of the way that COVID has impacted the industry... Valiant Lady and Scarlet Lady are basically going to be introduced at the same time. Originally, you know, we've reported a lot on how Valiant Lady was supposed to start sailing months ago, but then the entire industry shut down. So while it was originally expected that one would roll out, you know, months and months before the other, they're actually both kind of coming online at the same time. They're sister ships, so they're going to be very, very, very similar. But Valiant Lady will now be doing longer itineraries, giving people a little bit more time to sort of enjoy this unique adults-only kind of experience. Listener question comes from Devin. Devin wants to know, how likely is it that cruises will only go to private islands and or the Bahamas for the foreseeable future? The short answer is, who knows? (laughs) Like a lot of other things right now, Everything is sort of up in the air, and we're waiting to hear. The cruise lines are going to announce their itineraries. It seems very likely that, um, at least to start, yes, we will see shorter itineraries, probably from drive-to ports, probably a lot out of Florida, and they will probably do shorter cruises, like four or five days, where they can just go to the Bahamas, go to a private island, turn around, and come back. One of the interesting things that came out of the healthy sail plan that Norwegian and Royal Caribbean put together was the idea that they should do some short shakedown cruises, whether they're with paid guests or, you know, media and invited guests. A shakedown cruise is usually when you're trying out something new. Maybe it's a new ship. In this case, it's all the protocols, the health protocols that they need to put in place. The report suggested it would be a good idea to do a couple of sailings short to the islands and back or wherever and 
sort of make sure that everything the crew knows what they're doing that all the protocols are in place that all the, the you know if they're putting new temperature reading machines or crowd sourcing uh you know the techniques in place that all of those things are actually up and functioning before they start doing full-on cruises we do know that there will be limited capacity exactly how limited is sort of up in the air Disney indicated to one of the ports that they deal with that they were looking at sailing at around 70% capacity, which surprised me. I thought it would be more around 50% for all of the cruise lines. But again, it's all up in the air. The private islands do seem like a great uh, idea because the cruise line has more control there. One of the things we've heard is that shore excursions are definitely going to be more controlled. You know, you won't be able to get off the ship unless you're on a shore excursion that was planned by and controlled by the ship. You can't just get off and go explore. Well, what better way to sort of enforce that than the private islands where they have control over every single aspect of your trip. They control who you're interacting with. They control where you're getting your food. So it does seem like that would be a, a really great way for them to sort of ease into the the idea of returning to sailing. But again, we won't really know until they start releasing their full itineraries. Staff writer Richard Sims covering the cruise news for Sherry this week. Thank you, man. I really appreciate you. Always glad to. Thanks for having me. If you have an Amazon Alexa-enabled device, ask her to enable the Cruise Radio News Skill so you can get daily updates anytime straight from Cruise Radio. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip. Online claims assistance and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Check out our blog, the video page, and interact at cruiseradio.net. Back when it was so easy to take a cruise, Sarah sailed a seven-night voyage on MSC Seaside from Port Miami, and she joins us on the line. How you doing, Sarah? Good. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. So this was a seven-night cruise on MSC Seaside. Give me some of your pre-cruise expectations, because uh, as we know, MSC is a very polarizing, I guess, topic among some cruisers. Yeah, I wasn't really sure exactly what to expect because I had never sailed MSC before. Um, and this is one of the first new ships I had ever sailed as well. I was expecting it to be very elegant. I had heard a lot about it. Uh, I had heard that it was kind of based on Miami and the architecture there. So uh, I was looking forward to the design of it. I had also heard that MSC had some service issues. So I was a little bit Weary of that, not sure what to expect with that, but that's what I went in thinking. Okay, so you live up in upstate New York. You make your way down to Port Miami. How was embarkation when it came to board MSC Seaside? Embarkation was great. We got into the terminal and got through check-in and everything, and there were actually quite a few boarding groups ahead of ours, and I thought, oh, this is going to take forever. Like We're going to be sitting in here for a while, but 
the boarding groups went really quickly, actually, and we got on pretty fast. Um, there were no problems at all. About how long would you say it took from the curb to getting on the cruise ship? 20 to 30 minutes, maybe. Okay, yeah, that's not bad. One thing I did learn about MSC over the couple of times I've sailed them over the past couple of years is, is that if you arrive during your boarding time, you'll pretty much get right on. But if you try to get in early, like say you have a boarding time of 1 o'clock and you try to roll in at 1130, chances are you're going to be waiting until about 1 o'clock to board because they stick to their boarding time. They're not going to turn you back, but the way their flow is is when your boarding time is is pretty much when you board. Yeah. What were your first impressions of the ship? First impressions were kind of what I was expecting. Um, it's very modern. It kind of is very in your face, but in a good way. Like it's very elegant. They have the Swarovski crystal stair- staircases, which MSC is kind of known for. Uh, I think the design is really well done for the most part. Um, yeah, it was a very impressive ship, especially since pretty much before that, the ships that I had sailed had been a lot older. So this is my first new builds. Before you actually got on the ship, like what kind of cruiser are you? Do you do the full research, watch the tours and everything, or do you like some element of surprise? Probably more so leaning towards looking at it ahead of time. I don't necessarily like to see every single thing. Um, I am big on looking at menus and things like that ahead of time. I had seen like pictures of the interior spaces and stuff, but I'm not necessarily the person that's going to watch an entire ship tour before my cruise, but I do like to know some of what I'm walking into. And you make your way to your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you have and what did you think of it? We had a balcony stateroom and I think the size was excellent. The design was nice. Uh, It wasn't those um, kind of dingy colors that a lot of ships have. Um, It's the newer colors. There was some blues, some maroons. Um, the bathroom was a good size. It had a shower with a glass door, which is always appreciated. The desk kind of had a curved corner so that if you're like walking around the bed towards the desk, you're not going to like hit yourself on a corner, which was nice. Um, there were USB outlets at the desk as well as European and American outlets. And there were also USBs by the bed, which is kind of expected these days. And it was really nice that way. Um, the balcony was also a really good size. It had two chairs, which they usually have, but it also actually had a footrest, which you don't always see. One thing I wish had been different, it's set up where you walk in and then right after the bathroom is the bed, then the couch. And it's like a full couch. It's a pull-out bed and everything like that. I just wish the couch had been first and then the bed next to the glass doors because I just like having the bed you know, closer to the ocean. Uh, but otherwise, the cabin was great. Back to the stateroom configuration, you know, you see that a lot. I guess it really varies on the cruise line because some cruise lines actually have the bed by the balcony and the couch by the door. Others have it flipped. So uh, interesting observation there. Let's talk about food. We'll start in the main dining room. Do they have what, both traditional and anytime dining on here? They have both. We did set time dining. I prefer set time dining for sure. And I don't know how it is on European sailings, but on Caribbean sailings on this ship, they have three seatings, actually. So we had the 715 seating, which is the middle one, and I thought that was perfect. I would definitely pick that seating again if I was sailing this ship again, or any ship probably, uh, because it wasn't so early that you're getting back from day and port excursions and then rushing to get to dinner. 
Um, but you're not also missing out on the evening shows because you're done before them. So that was a perfect time for me. How about food and service in the main dining room? Food was great. Service, a little bit slow, not bad. One problem I noticed kind of across the ship is that a lot of the crew members didn't speak English very well. So sometimes it was hard to understand them. There was a little bit of a communication issue, but you know, it ended up fine. Um, it was great. The food was really good. They have themed nights throughout the cruise and they kind of sometimes carry those themes into the main dining room. So like there was an Italian night and then when you walk into the dining room that night, they've got Italian flags up, they've got decorations, limoncello. Um, it was fun. So, yeah. Am I correct when I say there are two buffets on MSC Seaside? There are. There's the main marketplace buffet, which is what you'd expect a, a ginormous buffet for any big ship. Um, and then there's a smaller buffet. It's supposed to be more family style, more uh, kid-friendly foods, and they have counters that are a little bit lower. And that had a great selection of food, too. It's really nice to have two buffets. Did you prefer one over the other? Um, I went to the marketplace buffet, the big one, more often. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't think I had a preference food or atmosphere-wise, but I just ended up in the bigger one more often. And I will say that while the food was good, the desserts in the buffet were kind of lackluster, which was disappointing. But the desserts in the main dining room were wonderful. So they don't have a problem with dessert overall, but just in the buffet. Let's talk pizza. Pizza was great. I do not usually like cruise ship pizza that much. I am kind of picky when it comes to pizza in general. Um, but the pizza in the buffet on MSC is probably the best pizza I've ever had on a cruise ship. So I definitely recommend that. Wow. How about any specialty dining for you? Yeah, actually, the sushi and teppanyaki is the same place. Okay. Um, it's called Asian Market Kitchen. It's kind of an Asian fusion, you know, several different styles in one. That was good. The atmosphere is really neat. They've got these really cool like lights in the ceiling, cool chandeliers, um, rounded booths, things like that. And the food was really good. I would say it's not worth it if you're not a huge Asian food person. Like It's not really your thing, but if it is your thing, I do definitely recommend it. And any others you did? That's the only uh, main like sit-down dinner specialty okay. restaurant I ate in. But I did want to mention... Uh, Venki real quick. Mm -hmm. They have two Venki locations and Venki is a, an Italian chocolate company. So they've got two kind of counter service type of spots on MSCC side. One is a gelato and like creperie at the aft South Beach pool. So that's kind of very casual walk up, like get some gelato, have them make you a crepe. That was really good. Um, I believe it costs extra. And then there's an indoor chocolate bar cafe type of location. Uh, they've got gelato sundaes, shakes, chocolate cocktails, which are amazing, and uh, coffee-based chocolate drinks and hot chocolates and things like that. And that also costs extra, but it is well worth it if you like chocolate. Is that the place with the chocolate waterfall? Yep. They've got a chocolate waterfall. It's not in the atrium. It's it's like right next to their location um, as you're walking into it. So it is one of the main like promenade areas, I would say. Yeah. But they've got the chocolate waterfall. And then they've also actually got chocolate sculptures on display. They're not for eating, obviously, but they 
They're really cool. Let's talk about entertainment on this seven-night cruise. So MSC has an international audience, so a spoken word comedy show might not you know, be appealing to every nationality on board. So how was the entertainment? So actually, let's talk about comedy first, since you mentioned it. They don't have what you would consider traditional com- comedians, uh, but they do have an improv group called Beer Prov, and that is their stand-in for a comedian. Um, they do an earlier show for families and then a later one for adults only. They were good. Uh, I went to see them more than once. Uh, I don't think they're a must-see if you're not huge into entertainment and you have other priorities, but I would recommend them. As you were saying, there are people from all over the world, so they can't necessarily focus as much on, um, I don't know, speech-heavy shows. So they have a lot of visual shows and musical shows, And they're incredible. MSC knows how to do entertainment. There are a lot of specialized performers that they have. And they'll be involved in more than one show. So, like, they had people that did these crazy hula hoop routines and acrobats and aerialists and contortionists and magicians. And if you saw one in one show, and each show had a loose theme, um, not a very, like like I said, speech-heavy storyline, but kind of a loose storyline... And if you saw them in one show, you might see them again later in the cruise in a different show, but doing the same type of thing they were doing before. It was really, really neat. Um, I think our jaws were on the floor quite a bit throughout the cruise watching these shows. So I highly recommend the uh, main evening shows for sure. How about entertainment around the ship? I remember walking into the sports bar and that was pretty cool. Yeah. There's the sports bar, there's music around the ship. They have, the atrium is set up kind of interesting. There's these little stages kind of on each deck along the atrium, and they've got performers playing on those. They've got video behind them. Yeah, entertainment is really good across the entire ship, I would say. And one thing fun that we did one night was, this is kind of common for cruising, and I absolutely love it. I try to do it on every cruise that offers it, is a silent disco um, on MSCC side, they were doing the silent disco actually on the deck where the South Beach pool is. So outside at the aft, which was really neat. It was nighttime. You're outside, the breeze is blowing, and everybody's like dancing to different music. Um, it's cool. Back to the sports bar for a minute. I was impressed by the sports bar because they have these little alcoves where families can go in or buddies and watch the game. And these little alcoves seem to be really relevant now when cruising returns to service. But a really good setup and some great food options in there as well. Yeah, the sports bar was big. I was surprised at how big it was. And the alcoves are neat because somebody else might want to be watching a different game. And you can watch your own because you've got your own little area, your own TV, your own little table. I think it was set up perfectly. MSC Seaside is a pretty big ship. So let's talk about sea days. How were they as far as crowds and congestion? Outdoors, they have the main pool deck. They have the South Beach pool, which I've mentioned. They have um, like a ropes course area, a kid's pool. They've got all sorts of things outside, a water park type of thing. Um, I'd say it's what you would expect for a sea day. Uh, It wasn't crazy anywhere. It wasn't like you couldn't move anywhere at all. There were people. There were a lot of people outside. The sea days were beautiful on this cruise. Um, It could be hard to find a lounger, you know, right up against one of the pools or something like that. But I would say it handles itself really well in general on sea days. The water slides are very popular. They're, I'd say, 
pretty high quality water slides for a cruise ship. And even though it was extremely popular and there are a lot of people doing it, uh, the line moved quickly, which I was kind of surprised by. Even on sea days, they had a handle on it for sure. A lot of public spaces on this ship, both inside and out. Which one was your favorite? I would say my favorite was the Bridge of Size. It's this kind of arcing bridge at the aft, very high above the South Beach pool with a glass floor. So you can actually look down and see the South Beach pool. Uh, It was a great spot to just kind of watch the wake, obviously take pictures. Um, MSCC side obviously is a ship that's meant to get you close to the sea. And that was a great, great place to have a great view of it. This might be a stupid question, so bear with me. Bridge of size, same bridge in Venice? It doesn't look anything like it, okay. but obviously they didn't name it for that reason. Okay. <laughs> what was your first port of call on this seven-night cruise? The first port was St. Martin, and this is actually the only port where we took an excursion there through MSC. That was an island tour, and to be honest, it was not the best. Uh, it was not too long after a hurricane had come through and they still hadn't really fully recovered. Actually, I think it was like a year after a hurricane really like kind of devastated them. And the tour, a lot of it was just the tour guide look, pointing out the windows and saying, you know, this used to be a mall and like this used to be this, but it wasn't anymore because the building had been like partially destroyed and they hadn't rebuilt it yet. So that wasn't the best. That tour did stop at a really cute beach with like a, a rocky... I don't know, Rocky Bay area. So that was nice. Um, After the tour, there was actually quite a bit of time left. So we got a taxi and went over to Maho Beach. And that was really fun. It was neat to be able to go there finally after seeing so many pictures of it in the past. Mm -hmm. Were there any signs of the hurricane from 2017? I know when I was there, um, gosh, yeah, it was 2017. That's like Irma and Maria and all that. It devastated a lot of those islands, and even you know, two years later, you could still see signs of devastation. Boats flipped over in the harbor and things like that. There were, yeah. There were a lot of buildings that, I mean, their roof was still caved in. We actually drove by a bay, and I believe we saw some like half-sunken ships, or not ships, half-sunken boats there. Um, so it was really kind of depressing to see. And then where was your next port of call? The next port was San Juan, Puerto Rico, and we didn't do an excursion here at all. Um, the ship docks right in old San Juan, so we just walked off the ship and started to explore. Uh, it was great. We visited um, one of the forts right in town there, and these forts are actually part of the National Park Service. So if you have an annual pass to national parks here in the U.S., it's one of our territories, so you can actually use it there. Um, that was really neat. And then otherwise, we basically just wandered around town. There's a lot of shops, really cute shops that sell locally made souvenirs, which we loved because we love shopping local and supporting local businesses and artisans and stuff like that. We ate at a cute restaurant for lunch called Verde Mesa. That was really good. Kind of expensive, but it was good. And we also went to that umbrella street that everyone wants to see. So that was neat, too. And then your final port? The last and third port of call was NASA, and I've been here before, but this time we did something a little bit different. Uh, We actually booked a parasailing excursion type of thing with an independent company ahead of time, not through MSC, and that was a lot of fun. They pick you up like right along the shoreline next to Senior Frogs. That was really convenient. It went great. 
Um, and then we just ate at Senior Frogs, walked around town a little bit, and then went up to the Queen's Staircase, which was really pretty. With the parasailing trip you booked, I know when I did it a couple of years ago, they took us out of the harbor and in front of the Atlantis. Did you go the same way? No, we didn't go over towards Atlantis. We did go out of the harbor, but we went over, um, if you're looking at Paradise Island from the mainland, we went out towards the left and just kind of parasailed out in that direction. It was yeah. great. And I, they actually let me uh, wear my GoPro. So yeah, I had my GoPro awesome. on my forehead and got some really neat video of it and stuff. You make your way back to Port Miami. How was disembarkation? Disembarkation was easy, just like embarkation was. Uh, there was a line in the terminal once we got off the ship, but it went quickly and we didn't have any issues at all. What would you say from the ship to the curb? Uh, 15 minutes, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you did kind of breeze through there. Man, you breeze through there. Any first time tips? Yeah, I have a few, actually. The first is to definitely get their MSC for me app. Uh, it's really convenient. It has interactive maps of the ship. You can see the daily activities schedule there. Um, there's a chat feature where you can text like other members of your party on the ship. And you can book things like shows and excursions through the app. Um, my second tip kind of goes along with that. Definitely do not miss out on the evening shows. Make that a priority, even if you're not usually a cruise show person. I think these are well worth it. Um, and you do need reservations for them. So I believe you have to make reservations 10 minutes before the show starts. Obviously, I recommend doing it before then if you can. But they would scan your cruise card or wristband or whatever uh, when you get to the theater. That's how they know you had made your reservation. And you can make that reservation on the app, so it's super easy. And then the third tip I have is kind of something I mentioned before. If you like set time dining, definitely get that 715 seating because I think it's perfect timing. When I was on MSC Maravilla a few months ago, they had those big, the digital signage all over the ship, like the big iPads. Did Seaside have this as well? A little bit. Oh, they kind of mimicked the app in some ways. So mm -hmm. a lot of times I just use the app if I needed something like that. But they were definitely convenient for somebody that wasn't carrying their phone around or wanted to see something on the fly that they didn't want to look at the app for. Cruise line apps typically go one of two ways. Either you can download it and use it before you cruise for pre-planning, or you can only use it once you're on board using the ship's intranet. How was MSC's app? Their app was kind of both. There were some things you can do ahead of time, which is really nice to kind of get a feel for it and get a feel for what's on board. Um, but there's some features that you have to wait till you're on board for. Like, I believe you can't use the chat feature until you're actually on their internet. What was your biggest highlight of this cruise? Honestly, I think San Juan was one of my biggest highlights. I absolutely loved that port. Um, I think the old San Juan is beautiful. Um, I would definitely go back there for a longer trip. And then just the design of the ship, uh, the food was really good. I think MSCC side has a ton of activities, no matter what your age is. So I think just that experience of the entertainment and the activities and the food on board that was also a highlight, too. A couple of questions I forgot to ask you earlier. Uh, one, how was the casino as far as the smoke situation in and around it? Uh, it was good. I didn't really notice it unless I was walking through the casino. But even then, I wouldn't say it was really bad. So I think they did a really good job with ventilation. Okay. And how about the Wi-Fi on board? Wi-Fi was good. Um, if you get like a one device plan, you can switch devices with it. Um, you just have to sign out of one and sign in with the other. And speed was sufficient. It wasn't lightning fast or anything, but for a cruise ship, I think it was pretty good. 
And final thoughts of MSC Seaside. It's a beautiful ship. Uh, the design of it definitely met my expectations. And I would sail it again. What are your thoughts of cruising again when the cruise industry gets back up and going? I definitely think I would be willing to get back on a ship next year. I kind of want to wait for cruising to resume and be in service for, you know, a few months at least and see how things are going for them. Um, If their protocol is working out the way they want it to, if there aren't a lot of outbreaks and things like that, I would definitely be willing to sail next year. Uh, I had been thinking about it earlier this year, back when they thought, you know, cruising might resume this fall. It still might be able to resume in November. We don't know yet. And I was thinking, Even if it did resume this fall, I wouldn't want to sail till next year. And I'm still holding to that. I think the earliest I would want to is probably spring. But that would just depend on how everything goes. Sure. Fair enough. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your review. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got here, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced weekly in Jacksonville, Florida. For partnership opportunities, email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Hear Cruise Radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Google Play, or at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.